Will you pray with me? Father, we pray that as we look to your word this morning, that you would meet us in this place and that the truth of your word would be real to us today. Thank you that you are a God who draws near to us, that you are a God who shows yourself to us. You are not hidden, but you are saying, here I am, come and meet with me. Thank you. We need you, Father. We need more of you in our lives. So would you just open up our hearts and our eyes and our ears to your word this morning. In your name we pray. Amen. Well, um, last week, um, as we've been in this series called Kingdom Come, we've been looking at the Lord's Prayer as a pattern, as a starting point for our own prayer lives. Um, We all need um, words to get us started sometimes, and the Lord's Prayer is a good starting point to use as a pattern to have a conversation with God. And so we've been walking through the petitions in this prayer leading up to Palm Sunday and Easter. It's hard to believe that those events are right around the corner. Um, But we wanted to sit in the Lord's Prayer as a way of inviting us, inviting our church to think about what it means means to pray, may your kingdom come. Not our kingdom, but may your kingdom come. And so we've been looking at those phrases, and uh, last week, Pastor Neil was speaking about the phrase in the Lord's Prayer that says, give us this day our daily bread. And as he was teaching, he commented, you know, I just feel like when I'm preaching a sermon and preparing a sermon that the words come alive. And I so appreciated that perspective because I was kind of laughing this past week thinking as a preacher, when I'm preparing sermons, it often feels like I just get smacked in the face with it. I don't know if you ever have that experience. Let me give you an example. This past week, I went to visit someone in the hospital and pray with them before surgery. And I was leaving, and whenever you're in a parking garage, as some of you know, there are signs around reminding you to pay uh, at the parking machine before you exit the parking facility. And it reminds you as you enter the hospital, you know, pay at the machine before you go. And then it reminds you about 17 times as you exit. Um, Have you paid? You need to pay. Remember, pay at the machine. And so I get, I'm ready to leave, and there's about three cars in front of me when the person in front of me, it is obvious that they have not paid in advance. And so we watch them to insert their credit card and go through all that business, while the rest of us could have happily been out the door onto our own business. But clearly, they were making a statement to us that our schedules didn't matter, (laughs) that we had to wait, that they couldn't be bothered to pay earlier. And all of these thoughts are running through my head as I get up to the pay station, and I am ready. I'm ready. And one of the things you should know that as pastors, when you go to visit someone in the hospital, oftentimes they give you a ticket that's kind of like your get-out-of-parking-garage-free card. Um, and so you, I had my two tickets ready. You put in the first one, and then you put in the second one, and the gate goes up, and you're free and clear. And so I put my first one in, and then I put in my second one, not knowing that at this particular hospital, that card does not cover the whole amount. 
And so the woman, um, the voice says, you owe $2. You owe $2. And I quickly look to the seat next to me where my purse is to grab my credit card and realize my purse is not there. Not only that, but I had thrown it in the back seat of my minivan, and as I was driving up the ramp in the parking garage, it had slid to the very back of my car. So the voice is repeating, you owe $2, you owe $2. And I roll down my window, and I think, I have to go in the back of the car, and I have to get my purse. So I'm unbuckling my seatbelt, and I'm climbing to the very back of my minivan, and I look out the back window, and there is now a lineup of cars up the ramp behind me and around the corner of the parking garage. And I think, you, you've got to be kidding me. And that's when the horn honking started. <laughs> And people were like, what is going on with this lady? And at that moment, the intercom comes through because it's saying, you owe $2. But now there's a guy behind that saying, ma'am, ma'am, do you need help? So I'm hearing all of this going on and the horns are blaring. I'm climbing back up to the driver's seat when the parking lot attendant security guard starts walking out towards me and he says, ma'am, you need to move this along, which I clearly at this point know. And so I slid my credit card in the slot, get my receipt, and the arm flings up, and I just speed off to safety, and I leave this massive lineup of cars that I'm sure were thinking what I had been thinking, that I was making a statement about their schedules and their lives and my own superiority in that moment, right? And so as we come to the text this morning and forgive us our sins... As we forgive those who have sinned against us, my experience is less about having the text come alive and more a reality check on the status of my heart that cannot be inconvenienced, that is so quick to make assumptions, my heart that in many ways has been hurt and can be so quick to hurt others. Forgive us. Forgive us as we forgive those who have sinned against us. It's no accident that when the disciples asked Jesus to teach them to pray, he began with these words as a starting point, as a model to pray in a daily way, in a daily dependence on the Father. And it's no accident that this prayer contains these words of forgiveness because forgiveness is a spiritual practice. A daily discipline like worship or spending time in the Bible, forgiveness is a practice that as we engage in it, it invites us to experience the freedom, to experience freedom from the hurts and the dings and the wounds of the world, and it connects us with our Heavenly Father and with each other in deeper ways. But as a spiritual practice, we actually need to practice it. And you know as well as I that our experience in the world and our relationships in the world give us plenty of opportunity to do this, right? But so often my experience in the world is that we are not experiencing that freedom. We are not experiencing the goodness and the connection that is found through forgiveness, but instead we are living with the burden, We are living with increased stress. We are living with higher blood pressure. We are living with thoughts and circumstances that are taking up space in our heads and our hearts as we ruminate on the hurt 
Scientific studies have shown that unforgiveness, it can impact our, um, our heads and our hearts, our brains from focusing and forming new memories, and it creates in us this mental fog. People weighed down by unforgiveness often see physical tasks as more stressful. And get this, there was a recent study about the unburdening effects of forgiveness the unburdening effects of forgiveness, and it would discovered that participants who had forgiven someone could actually jump higher than those who hadn't. I don't know who pays for these studies, right? Like, where do these things come from? But, you know, just in case, if you need to jump higher, this is what you do. Um, but instead, we say things like, you know, as a parent, you say, you know, say you're sorry, and then you, your kid goes, I'm sorry, Right? Or, I love you. I love you! I'll forgive you, we might say, but I'll never forget what happened. Or, I, you know, I forgave them, but I really can't be in the same room as them. Or, I want to ask your forgiveness, but I want to get it over with as quickly as possible, kind of like an ATM card, get in get out, get what I need. I don't want to get caught up in the bitterness and the anger, so I'll do the biblical thing and I'll forgive really quickly, and then I think I dealt with it. It's almost the norm, even among those who claim Christ for their whole lives, to, for there to be a whole lot of bitterness and anger and contempt that comes with this lack of forgiveness. And it's scary, right? Because if we unpeel that layer, if we start looking at that layer of our lives, it starts to feel really scary. It can start to feel really vulnerable. It starts to feel like we need to take some time and some effort and some work to dig into those things. But the good thing is it's a spiritual practice, right? And as you practice it, you get better at it, and you experience this incredible freedom that comes from dealing with the weight of unforgiveness. And forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sinned against us. This fourth petition starts out with this little phrase, and, and some commentators think that this is an extension of the third petition. It is not a separate petition at all, but it's connected with give us this day our daily bread. And this connection between these two strengthens idea, the idea that we need to daily trust in the Father's provision for our physical need, as well as daily trust in the Father's provision of forgiveness in our lives. We daily receive forgiveness as well as need to be in the posture of forgiving other people. And I have to admit my forgiveness, as well as extending forgiveness, is not something that is daily on my mind. Neil Plattinga writes, this practice of receiving and extending forgiveness is like taking out the garbage. Once is never enough. So the question this morning is, how do we develop this habit? How do we develop this posture that reflects the heart of our Father? And a couple things this morning about what forgiveness is. 
and what forgiveness is not. Just really quickly, and I've said this to you before, forgiveness is not, really quick, four things. Forgiveness is not the same as forgetting. We use that phrase a lot in our culture, and it is not helpful. Forgive and forget is a phrase that we toss around, but it can short-circuit forgiveness in our lives. The second thing, forgiveness does not mean excusing. Forgiveness does not mean that we are okay with someone's behavior or that we commit to continue to do life with them. It might mean that you're going to draw some new boundaries for yourself or you're going to break off that relationship, but it does mean that you get to live in the freedom that forgiveness brings. The third thing, forgiveness is not the same as avoiding conflict. Again, this short circuits the process of forgiveness in our lives because we don't just forgive to avoid talking about the underlying issues that caused the hurt in the first place. We need to move through this conflict in order to truly experience forgiveness. And the last thing is this. Forgiveness is not the same as trust. When we forgive someone, it does not mean I now trust you. It may mean some major life changes with that person. But what is forgiveness? What is forgiveness? And let me just start with this baseline definition. I think that forgiveness that is reflected in the Bible is to cancel a debt and it's to offer repentance and reconciliation. Forgiveness is both to cancel a debt, we see that reflected in the Bible, but it's also to offer to be a person that extends repentance and reconciliation. And I know what you might be thinking because I've had this conversation with so many people. If someone doesn't repent, if they don't think they've done anything wrong, or maybe there's not the opportunity to feel or express repentance, has forgiveness really happened? And I would say, yes, like, of course. But forgiveness in the Bible is not just about saying, I'm sorry, or acknowledging that wrong has been done, but it's also a hunger for restoration. It's a hunger for restoration, a desire to make things right. And friends, generally, we do half of this process. If we do it at all, we do half of this process and we say, you okay? I'm okay? Okay, let's move on, right? Just to give us a picture of what this can look like, I want to look for just a moment at Luke 15. Luke 15, and for some of you, it's a story that you know so well. Um, And for others, I just want to share it with you really briefly today. It's the story of the prodigal son, And I hope what I want you to hear in this story is a pattern of forgiveness that gives us something that we can do in our lives as well. It's a pattern of forgiveness that we can put into practice in our own lives. And so I want to read some of the story for you, and I want you to think about what is happening before and what is happening after this moment of forgiveness. What is happening before and what is happening after? So this is Luke 15, the parable of the prodigal son. Some of you know it so well. A man has two sons and he decides, one of them decides, I want my inheritance early. 
And so he demands it of his father and his father gives it to him and he runs it, he runs off and he spends it all on wild living, all that you can imagine. He experiences all of the world has to offer him and he finds himself on the down and out and he's longing to eat what a farmer is feeding to his pigs. And so it is in that moment that he comes to his senses, he heads back to his father, ready at best to be taken on as another servant. That's his picture. I'm going to go back to my father. At best, he's going to hire me on, and at least I'll be fed. At least I'll have a roof over my heads. My head. One head. (laughs) And in verse 20, we see a picture of what forgiveness looks like. Because the father isn't just like, okay, it's done, let's move on. But it says instead, the father in verse 20, while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son. He threw his arms around him and he kissed him. And the son said, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast to celebrate. For the son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and now he's found. And so they began to celebrate. Friends, the first part of forgiveness is being the kind of people that want the restoration. We're people that want the party. We're people that want the reconciliation. We want people to come together to find wholeness and healing. Before even the action of forgiveness can even happen, we need to start by asking ourselves, do we want it? Do we want it? Do we want the feast and the celebration of people who are experiencing the forgiveness of their father and the forgiveness of one another? And your first reaction might be, yes, of course I do. But I want you to pause for just a moment. Because we need to ask ourselves then, does my life, does my actions reflect the forgiveness that is available from the Father? I don't always think we want this. Maybe we want a quick sorry so we can keep going on with our lives. Or we want to dismiss the hurt and avoid Or we want to choose to do the religious thing of doing whatever is required so my conscience is eased and we can move on with our day. But as we look at the forgiveness of the Father, we notice in his heart this pattern. We notice an embrace. We notice forgiveness. And then we notice a celebration. N.T. Wright, commenting on this fourth petition of the Lord's Prayer, says, When praying this prayer, by the time you get to forgive us our sins as we forgive others, you have already been embraced by a father who has run down the road to meet you. By the time you pray those words, you have already been embraced by a father who has 
run down the road to meet you. You see, the order in this Lord's Prayer is so important because it begins by reminding us that we have a Father that recklessly loves us. Even when we go and we squander it all away. And friends, being a mom of three kids, like, I want my kids to learn how to apologize. I want my kids to learn how to acknowledge that they've done something wrong. But I want to be a mom who embraces them first. Before they even say anything. The embrace comes first. Because that's what God the Father says to us. The Lord's Prayer begins with our Father in heaven. And with this, we claim our identity as his children. So as parents, are we safe and welcoming people for our kids to come to and admit they've done something wrong? As parents, are we going to our kids and admitting our own shortcomings? And this applies in so many places in our lives for your families and who you live with, in your marriages or with your roommate. Are you a person that is safe and available to come to and admit when something has gone wrong? Are we seeking forgiveness? And are we a person that is going to be ready to embrace the other person when they ask for it? rather than excluding them or being a person that is harboring anger and resentment against them? Are we welcoming forgiveness, the canceling of debts in our lives? Friends, are we people that embrace? Are we people that are ready to forgive? And then finally, are we people that are celebrating? Are we people that celebrating are celebrating? Because the father, he sees his son a long way off and he embraces him. And then he says, what? Let's throw a party. Grab my party clothes. Fire up the barbecue. Call all the friends, right? He does not even give this a second thought. Because I don't know about you, but in my life, I'm thinking, have I been to the grocery store lately? Is my house clean? Who do I want to invite to have the right like vibe for the party? right? He doesn't even think about it. He just is like, call the friends. My son is home. Friends, this is what the church should be about. Because the lost have come home and forgiveness is real and restoration and reconciliation are possible. Let the party begin. This is what good news is because we get to have our sins forgiven so we can extend forgiveness to others. But at the heart of our ability to understand that forgiveness, to understand our need to forgive others, sometimes we need to be willing to accept the forgiveness of what Jesus Christ has already done for us. Forgive us our sins because it starts with us. Timothy Keller writes, an unforgiving heart is an unforgiven heart. An unforgiving heart is an unforgiven heart. 
the prodigal son coming home to his father, the son, friends, he couldn't even imagine a life where he could even pay back his father. I mean, he had racked up unimaginable debt. He had squandered his inheritance and he had taken it for a spin. And friends, I have spent so much of my life thinking that God's response to me in that moment is to condemn and to punish. And then he reconsiders and he's like, maybe I'll send Jesus. And it's like an afterthought. Like, ah, maybe grace is a good idea. But instead, what we see in this moment, what it reveals to us about the love of the Father is that his gut-level response, his first reaction to us is one of love. And so he sees his son a long way off and he opens his arms wide and maybe this morning, in order for you to realize that you need to forgive someone else, it's going to start by being able to receive the outstretched arms of your father. The one who forgives you, not as an afterthought, but says to us, I have removed your sins as far as the east is from the west. First John 1 John 1.9 says it best, that God is faithful, that he is just, and he will forgive us of our sins. Friends, he will, he will, he will. Let's pray. And so God, this morning we come to you. And in this moment, um, I have no doubt that there are people coming to mind for each of us. There are situations of hurt and there are situations of woundedness that are being raised up to the surface and it is in this moment, Father, that we acknowledge our need before you. We acknowledge first that you are a God who has forgiven us. For when we were a long way off, the Father came running. And so for just a moment, we breathe in your grace. And then we acknowledge that when we breathe it in, we must exhale it out to others. And so in the midst of the shortcuts that we might have taken, in the midst of our lack of desire for real restoration to happen, in the midst of maybe our anger and our bitterness that have been stewing underneath the surface, Father, we exhale in your grace and we exhale out forgiveness. And Father, while we can't deal with the unforgiveness in our relationship in the last three minutes of a church service, we can start by accepting and opening our hearts to the forgiveness that you have already offered to us. With open arms and with nail-pierced hands. And we thank you and we praise you and we feel embraced by you.
In your name we pray. Amen. Amen.